What will that be like on that day when the earth is filled with His glory? Just think about how bad the earth is. And to see it filled with the glory of God. No more darkness, no more weeping, no more poverty, no more oppression, no more hatred. Evil wiped clean from the earth, filled with nothing but the glory of God. That is a marvelous thought. Uh, before I get started this morning, I, I, I want to just say one thing, and then I'm going to preach this sermon. Because if you can do this one thing, you can do this one thing, this entire sermon series will be worth it. Okay? One thing. I desire to hear you, the congregation, sing. That's, that's the point of this series. That's what I desire. So before I even preach a sermon and I give you the reasons why I believe we should sing, and I give you how we can help ourselves to sing, let me just tell you the action item that I hope that the Holy Spirit is going to produce through these sermons is simply that you will sing together as one body to glorify God. That's my goal. If you do that, if you do that, we've succeeded. This is we together on this journey and all of these sermons. It's not me getting up here gas bagging for an hour. Some, some Sundays it may be. But the point is that the church is to put into action what the Word of God says. This is all for nothing if it doesn't change us. Okay. What would you do if you woke up one morning and you lost your voice? Couldn't talk anymore. And I mean really lost it. Not the way that you get sick and you kind of you talk like you're from New York and you're the Godfather. Not that way. All right, immediately when I lose my voice, I always sound like I'm from New York. I'm like, kids, shut up in there. I'll smash your heads. And I don't know what happens to me. I mean like you lost your voice. Gone. No sound could come out of your vocal cords. That happened to somebody, you know. In Luke chapter 1, we learned that the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. It says it appeared to him while Zechariah was offering sacrifices at the temple. Standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, that is the angel of the Lord, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. What, what good news is this? This is a family that has wanted a child. And, and what better promise do you have? Then, then a, an angel of the Lord coming and saying, you're going to have a child, and not only are you going to have a child, it's going to be a beautiful child. This child's going to bless you. That's our worry as parents that our children, we want our children to grow up and glorify God. And here they have the promise, the very promise 
There's nothing to worry about with this child. This child is going to be a blessing to you. This child will survive pregnancy. This child will be a blessing to the Lord. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. They're going to put John under what's called the Nazarite vow. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Wow. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow, what news about your child? Not only will your child live, but your child will live a life to glorify God. That's the only desire Stephanie and I have for our children, besides that they are safe, but that they will grow to love God in his church. And here he has it promised. God's word is true, and we can rest in it completely. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. That is the question that every Christian in an American culture today asks. How can I be sure that what you're telling me in that Bible you re is really going to happen? As we buried a fellow brother in Christ yesterday, I wanted the people to know as we stood by the grave I firmly believe that this man will come out of this grave. I mean, really. Why? Because every dead body before him stays in the ground, right? Never seen one come out save for one. Add Lazarus to the mix. But Lazarus died again. Why? Because God said, when I come, the dead in Christ will rise first. God is about his people trusting him. Listen to the angel's answer. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I will stand in the presence of God. And I have seen, or I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come at their proper time. For somewhere along the lines of 40 weeks, he couldn't speak. It wasn't until the boy was born. But Zechariah, when they were asking the father, since it was the father's right to name the child, what the child's name would be, they asked Zechariah what his name was. It says, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. In other words, he took God's word and obeyed. God said, name the child John. He wrote it down. He hasn't said a word. He wrote it down. John is his name. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And what's the first thing he said? It says, 
he began to speak, praising God. You know, your voice may not be literally taken away from you, but Christians around the world have lost their ability to praise God. Police detained six Christian women on January 10, 2017 for holding a Bible study at their church. The pastor said that they continued to hold regular meetings even after the Religious Affairs Bureau had posted a notice threatening to ban the church if it continued to hold illegal gatherings. Officers from Religious Affairs, Public Security, and Urban Management Bureaus interrupted a church service to arrest the women, and the officers reportedly shoved and beat some men in the church who tried to stop them. The women were given sentences ranging from 10 to 15 days each on a charge of quote-unquote organizing unauthorized religious activities. This was in China. Pastor Bakram Kalmatov who has been detained by secret police since April 2017, was sentenced recently to three years in prison. The 42-year-old pastor was arrested on April 10, 2017, after police raided the full gospel Protestant church, harassing and beating church members. Christians in Tajikistan told Forum 18 that the pastor was jailed for singing extremist songs in church and inciting what is considered religious hatred. After authorities began targeting the church and its affiliates earlier this year, many church members left the church or stopped attending out of fear. The pastor is married. He has three children. Please pray that the pastor and his family and his extended church family will remain faithful during this difficult time. What's the point? Why did you read me these stories? The point is, that we have freedom in this country to sing praises to God, and we neglect it greatly. For what? An extra 30 minutes of sleep? To go to the ocean and go fishing? Because we're embarrassed by our voices. You ever seen a missionary worship God when he's back in the States from a country where he couldn't worship God? He's so expressive. Because he knows what it is to not be allowed to speak the glorious things of God. And yet, here we have such a great privilege. And what do we do with it? It's not just this church. I want you to understand it is the American evangelical plight in the 21st century that Christians no longer sing. This is a sad reality. My goal this morning is to warn and encourage you to sing praises to God before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, you are mighty. I thank you that with amplifier, you allow me to proclaim you. There is no fear today that the police would come in and arrest us for simply assembling to praise you. But for our brothers and sisters around the world today, it is illegal in many countries to praise you. To declare your gospel to non-believers is illegal 
a jailable offense, and in some cases even death. And here America has such great privilege, and we waste our times talking about everything but you. Why, God? Because we, like Zechariah, doubt how great you are. Lord, it is my prayer that we will sing glories to you because we know you. And to know you is to love you and praise you. Lord, we don't sing to you because we don't know you. It is my prayer that we will know you truly. Amen. Why do we sing? I want to talk, I want to give you four reasons right off the bat why we sing. And then I'm going to move into our uh, main part of our sermon, which is principles for singing. First off, why do we sing? Why do we sing? We're good at going through the motions as human beings, never to stop and ask why we do what we do. We know that on Sunday you come and in the first half of the service you sing and in the second half there's a sermon. And then you go to Piccadilly after and you get food and you go home and you go into a comatose nap caused by L-tryptophan because you ate the turkey. Why do we do that? The first reason that we sing is because we were designed to sing. God has made impersonal creation to sing of his glory. That is, he has made nature to declare his glory. In Psalm 19, 1 and 2, David said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's synonymous parallelism. parallelism. He's saying this, The sky, the order of the cosmos, which... In those days, the only way to determine seasons was not by checking Google. It was by looking at the stars and you could determine their order and their patterns. And because the cosmos was orderly and not chaotic and disorderly, men and women praise God. There is no civilization on earth that is inherently atheistic. Because the world, the heavens, declares the glory of God. In fact, it tells us there is no place where their voices aren't heard. Inanimate, impersonal, unaware creation declares God's glory. Why then would we think that the one pinnacle of God's creation, created after his own image, mankind should not declare it even louder? If the earth declares the glory of God, why then would we not? We are designed to sing. I read just recently that vocal cords develop very early, very, very early in a child's development during the gestation period. And while not everyone sings as beautifully as the next person, we are all able to sing. You know, it wasn't until singing became commercialized where we had the idea of professional singers. The rest of the world, they just sang and didn't get paid for it. We are designed to sing. Therefore, that's reason one why we sing. Reason number two, we sing because we desire to sing. God's people desire to sing because they desire Him. In Psalm 104, 33 and 34, 
David said, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been, while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. We desire what we love, and we sing about what we desire. How do I know this? Listen to the music in your iPod. Full of love songs. The world has been set ablaze by the love song. Because some artist, when he met his bride, or when she met her soon-to-be husband, when they looked in their eyes, the only thing they could do was fall in love, and they wanted to articulate that in song. So they wrote music and sang. Why? Because they desired that person. The reason why we sing to God is because we desire The obverse, though, is true. The reason why we don't sing to God is because we don't desire Him. Reason number three. We sing to God because we declare who God is when we sing. Psalm 96.3 says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Johan told me yesterday several of our church members went out to the UM and Georgia Tech game. And I don't know if you saw the game. Miami won. That's what's up, Chukes. Um, Miami won. And Johan said when, they, when, the, when the receiver caught the pass, I don't know if you saw the end of the game. When the receiver caught the pass, Johan said, I was hugging people I didn't even know. He said, we were all hugging and we were singing. Why? Why? You know, their life didn't change at all. You know that? For the average person in those stands, their life didn't change one bit. A guy caught a pass. They still go home to debt. They still go home to divorce. They still go home sadness, their life doesn't change one bit. But they declare things that don't matter. We must declare things that do matter. We declare God when we sing. God has made all types of people and placed them in all types of places that we may unite around Him. One of the coolest things about sports, you have to admit, is that people, no matter what may be going on in the world, people will put on their dolphin shirt and they can be from any walk of life and they're going to love and praise with each other for at least three hours or at least 15 minutes because the dolphins aren't very good. And it's a really cool thing about sports. They're united around that common goal, and it really transcends all of the problems that we have in society. But here's the problem. It's not an eternal, everlasting transcendence. Listen to what God's Word says. Paul said, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him. And here in our midst at Northwest Baptist Church, for decades, we have demonstrated that people whom God has placed in different walks of life from different backgrounds can come together and unite around one human being, one God-man, Jesus Christ, who will never fail. 
The reason why we sing is because we declare God when we sing. Finally, we depend on songs of praise to unite us. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 said this, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This comes right after the verse that says, being not drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been in a pub? Don't raise your hand to maintain your innocence. I've been in a pub before, but I drank water. Pint has never touched these lips. When you're in Ireland, they pass around the beer and they start to sing. And none of them have a good voice, especially after their second pint. But everyone is singing, I played the Wild Rover for many a year, and I spent all me money on whiskey and beer, and now I'm returning with gold and great store. No, I never will play the Wild Rover no more, and it's no, nay, never. No, nay, never, no more will I play the Wild Rover. No, never. No more. And it's fun. And they're drunk. And they're hugging each other. And God says, be filled with the Spirit, not with wine. Don't let alcohol bring out joy. Let my Holy Spirit bring out joy. Let the knowledge that you are forgiven in Christ alone, be what brings out joy. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's just what you do when you love the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing because we are designed to sing, because we desire to sing, because we desire to declare God, and because we depend on songs to unite us. I want to talk then, as we conclude this morning, with the principles of singing. What are the principles we as a church should follow? If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 3.16. This is going to be our main verse for the morning. Colossians 3.16. Here's what the scripture says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. A very simple command. I want to talk about the principles of singing. I want to talk about when we sing on Sunday morning, what our main goals as a people of God should be. Number one, our first goal when we sing should be that we are singing because our songs are informed by theology. Our songs must be informed by theology. 
a couple years back, Macklemore came out with a song called Same Love, and I really, really liked it. It was really well produced. In fact, I think in 2015, it was the song of the year. It was very well done. The music was beautiful. The video was very heartwarming. The music was just great. It was right up my alley in terms of music genre that I really like. And the message was completely false. How could I get behind that message? Oh, I love the sound and I love the music, but the message was wrong. The point of song is to convey message. And when the message is wrong, when it's not ingrained, as Paul says in our verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the message be the basis for why you sing. And even though I desired that song and loved that song because the word of Christ dwelt in me richly, I could not sing along. Many amazing musical artists who I don't listen to, not because they're not talented and because I don't like their music, I end up listening to simply because their message is better than anything. It is not the type of the tone, but the message that matters. Churches in America divide over musical preference constantly. It has been my goal since we started here to make sure that we try and balance the musical preference. As you heard Dave get up, I like the old stuff. I like some of the old stuff. And the young people say, I like the new stuff. I like some of the new stuff. What's the guiding principle? I'm not listening to it in my van as I'm riding down the street most of the time. The guiding principle is the message behind it. Whether we like the music is not what should be our focus when we come. The focus should be, do we like the message? Do we agree with the words? That's the heart of true Christian worship. It is the words. The message over the music. Music is simply the vehicle for a message. Song is one of the most powerful tools human beings can use to propagate a message. And of course, not all messages are true, and there lies the danger in song. The best-selling song of John Lennon's career was the song Imagine. Many of the older people know this song. Here's how it goes. It's a beautiful song. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. 
No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. It's just completely false. The best-selling song of John Lennon's career. For those of you who don't know, John Lennon was with a great musical group called the Beach Boys. <laughs> All right, so that's how many older people I have in here. All right. Younger people, I tried looking on the billboards for the song, the most popular songs today. The first two I couldn't bring in here because they were full of filth. The third one was called Mi Gente, and it was in Spanish, so I didn't know what it said in the first place. Frank knows it. I saw him go, yeah. Suffice it to say, all I found with today's songs, what was once cryptic, is nothing more than the overt glorification of violence, vulgarity, and vainglory. That's the messages that are being pumped into the minds and the hearts of our people. It is the message, not the music, that counts. Yes, many, many talented musicians. And their words are like chaff to be blown by the wind because they are built on quicksand. But the words that we sing every Sunday morning are built upon the rock. But not only music over, me or message over music, music over preference. Matt Boswell says that the good worship leader should have his guitar in one hand and his Bible in the other, and he should know how to use both. Thank God we have been blessed with talented musicians. Many of them have been or are currently playing in bands. Several, both of our leaders, come from distinguished schools of music. And that's fantastic. And when you go to Nashville, Tennessee, the music city, it is beautiful to hear these talented musicians who sit at the piano and play beautiful, beautiful music. And what does it matter? What does it matter if the words behind the music mean nothing. You have to have both. You have to not only know how to play your music, you have to also know God's Word. This does not mean that human beings will prefer every sort of music, even though some are better than others, because it is played well or because it speaks truth. Nonetheless, the point is that in congregational worship, we're not always going to hear our favorite hymns, but we should always find opportunity to sing to and about our favorite person. Always opportunity to sing to and about our favorite person. We're singing about God. We're singing to God. Even if my preference of music wasn't heard this morning. That's what we desire. Music over preference. It is the God of the song, not the God of song who we worship. 
It is the object that we are singing to. If the church in America could get this correct, all of the worship wars between contemporary and traditional would simply break down because the object would be the person and not the preference. God must be who the one we come to glorify, not our own preferences. Well, how do we do this? Some of you say, I, I don't know. I, I don't like some of the new stuff. How am I going to change? How is this ever going to happen? Let me give you some points of application as we leave. Number one, how do you become a better singer in your churches? Be willing to get outside of your comfort zone. This is called the breakfast club principle. And every coach knows that if winners are going to embrace the goal, if they're going to win, if they're going to be champions, they must get outside of their comfort zone. I call it the breakfast club because when our basketball coaches first came to Northwest, they had a practice at 5.30 in the morning and they called it breakfast club. Many, young, many of, my, of our teammates were getting up at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning and walking to practice if they wanted to play. Four state championships later, we understood the importance of it. But we had to get outside of our comfort zone before we got there. Is singing to God important to you? Is corporate singing to God important to you? Then embrace what it takes to do it. What's it going to take? It's going to take making your ultimate goal to sing songs with fellow believers rather than to sing songs that you like. Be excited when you go into new houses of worship that you're going to sing songs with fellow believers even if it's not the type of music you like. There are all kinds of churches all over the world that sing songs differently. One of my favorite worship moments ever, I have several in my life, was at Genevieve Nibb's mother's funeral. It was about an hour and 15 minutes. You know, we, I'm not used to that. And it was just old traditional songs. And I didn't know anybody in there except for some of our members. And the joy and the God they were singing to united all of us. It didn't matter about the style. It didn't matter whether it was my preference. The only thing that mattered was that my brothers and sisters loved the same God I love. That was it. So get out of your comfort zone. Look to the words to inspire you and not the sound of music. And make, this is the last one, and I have it in underlined here because I wanted, it, it says here, be careful when you say this. You don't want to upset the church. Let me hide. Make the sacrifice to get to church on time to sing with one another. The only people clapping are the people who get her on time, so that's no good. I know what you're doing when you walk in 45 minutes late. <laughs> she thinks it's funny. That's hey, Listen, as long as one or two people are laughing, that's all that matters. You got to get here on time because that's going to get you out of your comfort zone. 
to sing the songs. Why? Because being with a common people and a common message is what unites us, not whether or not we hear our favorite song. Amen. Well, how else can I become a better singer? That, that wasn't enough. I, okay, so I get out of my comfort zone. What next? What if I don't feel it? Because after all, isn't singing all about feeling? And the answer is no. Increase your devotional life, though. That's the second way you become a better singer. Greater knowledge of God's word will produce a greater desire to sing to him. A.W. Tozer said this, God is love and is for that reason the source of all the love there is. He is set as the first of all commandments that we love him with all our hearts, but he knows that the desired love can never originate with us. We love him because he first loved us. It is the spiritual, or scriptural and psychological pattern. We can love him as we ought, only as he inflames our minds with holy desire. Yet, there is also a love of willing as well as of feeling. Though we may not be conscious of any great degree of inward sensation, we may set our wills to love God and the feeling will come of itself. In other words, what begins first is the complete opposite of the way we as Americans approach love. You must first set your mind and heart to will to love. Marriages end all the time because two parties, one party says, I don't feel the way I used to. But love begins by setting our hearts to will to love the object. If someone says to you, I don't love my spouse anymore, say, then go home and start loving them because love is an action. You don't even have to know a person to be kind, to be patient, to be long-suffering, to not be envious. I always ask my students, can you love someone you've never met? And they always say no because their mind is based on feeling. What I am saying is when we increase our knowledge of God, when we discipline ourselves to read and to devote ourselves to who he is, the desire that we so eagerly seek will come out from us. Tozer concludes by saying this, obedience will strengthen faith and faith will increase knowledge. And it is a well-known law of the spiritual life that our love for God will spring up and flourish just as our knowledge of Him increases. To know Him is to love Him, and to know Him better is to love Him more. Increase your devotional life in order to help your worship. Number three, increase the quality time with fellow believers. I have the word quality in quotes here. Time spent with Christians can be fruitless when it is not infused by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. The problem is that Christians gather together, but not in the name of God. We must gather together as believers around the central truths of Scripture. If the service ends... We usually congregate into groups and we talk about everything under the sun except our Christian lives. 
That is a travesty. God wants his people to do what? In our verse this morning, what does he ask of us to do? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He expects not only that Christians be together, but he mandates a love for him when they are, expressed in a certain way. Finally, what can you do to become a better singer? Just sing. Just do it. Right? That's what Nike says. Just sing. My mother had a very simple rule when I was growing up. When we grew up, my parents moved down from Tennessee. It's very, very black and white in Tennessee, very monolithic. Everything's fried. Everything comes from a farm animal. That's just how we eat. And when my mother came down here, she embraced multiculturalism. God bless her. She, was, she, is, she is a wonderful woman. And let me tell you, that was hard because there was a lot of strange things that came across her life. It's what happens to all of us when we go into different cultures. It's called culture shock. She embraced it. I didn't. You know how many times we went to your house, had dinner, and I wanted to stop by McDonald's on the way home because I did not want to eat that chicken foot? Let me tell you something. <laughs> Stephanie's dying, but you know because every time we eat at your house, there are chicken feet. Everybody knows chicken fingers, good. Chicken feet, bad. So my mother had a very simple rule. She would say, all right, you don't have to like it, but you do have to try it. You know, what her, you know what her hope was? If I tried it, I might like it. And I'm so glad she taught me that. Thank you, Mom! <laughs> I remember one of the biggest arguments we had. We went over to the White's house one Sunday. And she was making oxtail. I don't want to eat the tail. What is that all about? I've never eaten a tail of anything. And Miss Helen White was, she just had this pot of stew and she was making, and all I'm thinking about is, man, I'd love to have a double quarter pounder with cheese when I leave here. And my mom, my mom says, Andrew, would you like to try a piece of the oxtail? And I said, no, I'm good, Mom. Thanks. She said, Andrew, you don't have to like it, but you do have to try it. Because when your mother asks a question, she doesn't really ask a question. You know, you know, like when your wife says, you're not going to wear that tie with that shirt, are you? That's not a question. That is a fashion verdict. So I said, fine, give me this weird tail. And I ate it. And as I ate it, my eyes were opened, and it was delicious. And then I ate everybody's oxtail. Hey, you're going to eat that oxtail? I'll take that oxtail. And I ate all the oxtail I could on that day. The point is, you might actually like singing if you try it. Just sing it out. When we went 
the, one of the best things that ever happened to my life was that God took us into the miserable experience of being a year away from you all. It was miserable because I wanted to be with my church and we did things just the way I liked it. And when we went into Louisville and we went to sing with people and they started to raise their hands in the air, I thought they were all crazy. And then I began to embrace it little by little. And what a blessing it was to my life. Just try it. Just sing to God. See what it does to your heart. Next week, set your heart and your mind to engage during our time of song. Who cares what the people around you think? You're not singing to them anyway. You're singing to God. Furthermore, they need to be singing too. And if our hearts are right, we're not going to care about what it sounds like. We're just going to be glad you are here. Praising the same message we all believe and stake our lives on. I'll leave you with this little note. Colin Hansen was asked, he asked Keith Getty, who is one of the premier, premier Christian musicians today, if the reformers could yell, stop at one thing we do with music in the church today, what would it be? Here's what he said. There are probably a number, sadly, but the strictly music, from strictly a musical perspective, it be that we should begin with the holy act of God's people singing at the center of the musical experience and then work out from there. Just that we sing. He says, whether you have a more Lutheran view of singing, high view, that is, of the role of instrumental music in the service and with the singing, or more Calvin, Knox, Edwards, that is, preferred unaccompanied singing or absolute simplicity of accompaniment, the Reformers all had a high view of singing, period. Calvin and Edwards had some of the finest musicians in their churches teach congregational part singing because they realized how encouraging this was for personal, family, and church. Many of the towns in New England influenced by the Reformation would teach singing on a Wednesday night in order to teach parts and to prepare for Sunday. In other words... Instead of having 20 or so people here for the choir, the whole church would be there Wednesday and all they would do is practice singing because it was that important. And nobody had to sing a solo to joy. You're all qualified. If you sing to the glory of God, He says, I would dare say less than 5% of our churches are taking congregational singing as seriously as any of these guys did. No question about it. We're not. Legan Duncan says this, there is no part of the worship life more in need in our churches than congregational singing. This is important. It is important to me because it is important to God. It should be important to you. Let's pray. 
Oh God, you are so worthy to be sung to. We sing to so many unworthy things, but let us sing praises to you. God, we love you. You are so amazing. You are almighty, God. The heart that beats in our chest beats only by your sovereignty. Should you say, don't beat anymore, our hearts will not beat. You, Lord God, are the source of life. We claim we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord. Then charge the Holy Spirit. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to sing praises to you. Let us desire you the way we desire other things. Let us desire you more. Let us desire you greatly. And show you and show the world as we sing to you. We love you, God. Amen.